Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Associate Pastor Ian Mulraney. Good morning. It's a rainy, small crowd morning here at Redemption. You all look 50 feet away from me, but I'm going to try and keep it a little lively and a little engaged today for all six of us here. So, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so you guys that aren't did show up today, I think you're in for a treat because we are getting to do something really special. We're starting a new series, and it's one that I personally am super excited about. We're going to be following the life of Abraham as it's talked about in the book of Genesis. And um, Abraham is just one of my favorite biblical characters his walk with the Lord, his relationship with God, the decisions and actions he makes just has so much. It's just great narrative to read. It's a really interesting um, biography. And there's so much that you can glean and wrestle with, with faith, with the life of Abraham, that it's just personally exciting. So I'm excited for it for that reason. Have you been coming to Redemption uh, within the last few years? Um, If you haven't been with us since before the pandemic, I think this is the first time we've been back in the Old Testament since the pandemic. So it's been a while, almost three years that we've been preaching from the New Testament, which is good. We have the Gospels, we have Revelation, we were looking at the book of Ephesians recently. But um, the story of God starts with the people of Israel, and so sometimes it's good to go back and look at those roots. So we're back in the Old Testament again, so that's exciting. Um, and overall, it's, it's a narrative, so it's different than the theology we've been doing with the, the Ephesians, it's different than the gospel accounts of looking at the life of Jesus. This is just the narrative of a man. So in some ways it's easier reading than some of the other wrestling with Paul's musings and theology and back and forth, so hopefully it's really accessible. I personally am super excited, um, I hope you guys are going to be too by the end of this, uh, And yeah, since you're here, you get a little taste of what's to come for our summer series. So, um, with that being said, I want to tell a story, and then we're going to talk about Abram, and Abram, Abraham, and uh, learn a little bit about him. So, we can hit that. Um, Yeah, when I tell you, Kyle, click on that link. I just want to give a little bit of background. But don't click on it now. Don't click on it now. Yeah. No, don't click. Yeah, yeah. I just want to, it'll not make sense unless I get the context. Cool. So, I don't know how many of you guys actually know this, but I have a loved one who, when they were a child, they were playing outside in the street, and a stranger came up behind them, grabbed them, put them in a van, and took them uh, for about a month or two, um, had taken them to this place. They didn't know where they were. Um, They were put inside this building where they didn't, they didn't see who had really taken them. Um, and when they got to this building, they were placed inside a cage. And they were kept in the cage for like two months until they were rescued. Being fed through, you know, like in little bowls and like just barely kept alive. Um, picture this. Like when they did see people, the people were like dressed in medical garb and like and masks and taking them to, like, a very sterile, like, medical facility room where they did, like, weird medical tests on them they didn't understand. They injected them with, uh, with some things that 
they still don't know what they were injected with to this day. And, um, and unfortunately for them, they were even castrated while they were abducted by these people. Um, I have a video of the loved one that was recovered from that facility. Might be a little disturbing, but I just want you guys to see this. So if you want to click on that cop, you might have to click. There is sound to it too, but so yeah. Can you put the audio on <laughs> up at the top there? Yeah, to the left. Yeah. So that's my friend. Um, <laughs> that's that's my buddy. Yeah, and you can hear the terror in his voice as he. horrible, right? He had been taken away from his home. He had been forced to live in a cage. They did all these medical tests and castrated him. But <laughs> Thanks, John. You can go back. Uh, so click up on the slide on the top left. Oh, actually, exit out of this first or else we're going to keep hearing the cat crying. <laughs> so we're going up here. Okay. I'm sorry. No worries. I surprised you. There you go, and then, cool. I don't know if we can get a full screen, but can you hit the next slide? No, that's not what I'm doing, hold on. I lost the, uh, there we go. Cool, yeah, hit the next slide. So yeah, that's, many of you have met my cat, Francis. Um, he's my buddy, he's my boy. And what I described in that story is normal for what happens for stray cats, right? When people find stray cats, that's the normal procedure. But when you describe it from Francis's perspective, it's actually a horrifyingly traumatic event, right? Being taken, you don't know where you are, you're having all these physical things happen to you. Um, and it's just interesting, I was thinking about what that is like from the cat's perspective or a stray dog's perspective when you take them to a facility like that. Because now, Francis lives with me and Amanda and Ollie. He has soft blankies, he gets wet cat food every day and cat treats and all the pets he could ever ask for. And I'm not sure that in his mind he is ever going to connect the dots that the reason that he had to get all those vaccines the reason that he lost his testicles somehow led to him living the life he is now. But those were necessary things that had to happen for him to get adopted, to make sure he's not diseased, make sure he's not fleas, things like that. Um, Francis can't see the big picture. And sometimes we as human beings don't either. The challenge for us as our individual human lives, when we look at the big picture of the universe and the world history and uh, the story of God, the challenge for us is to believe that God is working for the ultimate good all the time, even when we can't see that. You can hit that slide, Kyle, thanks. And that's what I think the theme of Abraham's life is, and I, that's what the theme of this sermon series is going to be, that even when we don't see it, God is working for ultimate good. Abraham's life exemplifies this. God is going to ask Abraham to do crazy and radical things that don't make sense to Abraham. And sometimes when we're reading the stories, 
don't make sense to us either. But Abraham is going to do all of these things because he believes this, because he believes that our God is one that is working for the ultimate good of all people. Abraham is often held up as an exemplar of faith, and that's kind of what this is. Acting and doing things even when we're not sure of the outcome. You know, there's going to be a lot of promises that Abraham gets, and he's not even going to live to see all of them fulfilled. And yet, he does it because he believes that. You can go back. That's okay. Yeah, he does it because he believes that there is an ultimate good that God is working towards. So, with that being said, I think we should start. What do we know about Abraham before I get up, you know, and just lecture at you guys? What, what do we know? We have a couple of students here, so hopefully something. He lived to be 209. Was that the... I, I actually don't know how old he lived to be, but it was, some, it was up there. <laughs> 500, right? Yeah, Abraham wasn't that old, but he was around 200, I think. So, yeah. And we're going to, like we saw in our passage today, he doesn't even, like, the important part in quotations of his life didn't even start until he was 75. You know, he was retirement age when he started this crazy journey with God. So, yeah, he lived to be really old. Does he have anything to do with Joseph and Moses? He does. He's going to be, well, he's the fourth, he's the forefather of all of the Israelites. So... Yep, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they all are going to claim ancestry from Abraham. What else do we know about him? His faith was credited to his righteousness. Yeah, good job. Remember from Romans. <laughs> yes. Uh, Did he have to sacrifice his son? And that's actually Genesis too. Yeah, he was asked by God to sacrifice his son. Did he do the Ten Commandments? Just kidding. Just kidding. No, that's Moses with the Ten Commandments. But that actually does put us where we are in our story, right? In case you're not familiar, Abraham is like as close to the beginning as you can get without actually being the beginning of the historical and biblical narrative. Was um, he the burning bush? Nope, that was Moses. So, Moses is going to bring the law to the people. He's going to bring the Ten Commandments. He's going to rescue them out of Egypt. Jesus is going to come and die on the cross. Um, the apostles are going to start the church, but this is thousands and thousands of years before all of that. Abraham is going to be the first person after the flood that God calls to walk with him. So in our bigger picture narrative, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates man and woman, and he puts them in his garden in Eden. And man and woman choose to sin and rebel against God. And so they get exiled from the garden and the relationship between God and man is broken. The relationship between man and man is broken. You know, Adam and Eve's two sons kill each other. Um, sin has entered into the world. And people keep sinning and keep just, just doing what they want. And there's brokenness and evil. And God eventually says, I'm saddened by what I have made at all this evil. And so he determines to destroy it, but he saves one man and his family, Noah. He sends a great deluge of waters upon the earth and floods it. Is that the Sodom and Gomorrah? No, that's coming up. That's actually in Abraham's life. <laughs> so we'll get there. But yeah, so he saves Noah, and then Noah and his sons get off the ark, and they start to repopulate the world. 
The peoples again turn to try to make their names great, and they build a great tower, and God confuses the languages and scatters them on the face of the earth. And then Abraham. Abraham is called. You can go back, Kyle. We're still on. Yeah, thanks. I'll tell you. Um, so yeah, so it's like very early in the biblical narrative that we are. Um, after Eden, but before the law. The funny thing, though, is like in history, we're, we're still early, we're still ancient. Abraham probably lived between 2200 BC and 1800 BC, somewhere in that time frame. Um, and I don't know, it's still early human civilization, but like Egypt is an old civilization at this point. Sometimes we think that Abraham just kind of like existed on the dawn of humanity, but Egypt has been around for a couple centuries. The northern, upper and lower kingdoms have been united. They've gone through a few golden ages. Babylon is beginning their first golden age. Um, Hammurabi is getting ready to write his code, which is going to be like the first law code ever recorded. Um, so Abraham comes into a world that is actually developed. It has civilization to it. Um, it's not just all primordial. But yeah, before we go on, what else do we know about Abram or any other cool stories you guys just want to throw out there? Well, it seems like he started out with his family in Ur of the Chaldees, mm -hmm. which is Iran, Iraq, along that side of it. Yep. And God told him to move with his family, and it took a lot of faith and trust for Abraham to be able to do that. And he took his family and eventually ended up on the other side near the Mediterranean. Yeah. Which was a huge journey. And um, and God was with him through all of that. Yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about today is Abraham's displacement. Like that's the first thing that happens to him. So I think Abraham is worth looking at um, just because like just from a purely philosophical and historical perspective, he's so interesting because all three major monotheistic faiths tie themselves to Abraham in some way. Um, obviously, the Jewish people believe that he's their direct genealogical ancestor, that they all carry his DNA within them. Um, and so the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, is just the stories of believing these promises, and even to this day, this is why we have the state of Israel, because the Jewish people still hold to the promises that God made to Abraham, that they're going to have the land of Israel, and that their descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars, and the, as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. Christianity, uh, Jesus kind of redefines what it means to be a son of Abraham. He gets in arguments with some of the Jewish people, and uh, tells them that, you know, it's not what your physical circumcision looks like. It's if you're circumcised in the heart. And we'll talk about why circumcision matters in a few weeks. But, um, and that's kind of what the New Testament ends up doing is we see that Gentiles can actually claim being real descendants of Abraham, even though they don't have this DNA uh, biological link to him. And then even Muslims... Um, Muhammad and his original uh, Arab community 
Uh, they believed that they were descendants of Ishmael, one of Abraham's other sons. You know, Jews are from Isaac, and Muslims, uh, Muhammad believed he was descended from Ishmael. And they also believed that Abraham built the Kasbah in Mecca, which is where the great pilgrimage that happens every year is. So all three of these faiths, just from a geopolitical world perspective, Abraham is an important figure because so many world religions, so many peoples hold him to be esteemed and hold him up. Um, yeah, and just as us Christians, Romans 4.11 says that Abraham is the father of all believers. So if you are seeking the living Christ, he's your ancestral spiritual father too. So with all that being said, our kind of background biographical knowledge of Abraham, why do you think God chose Abram? And so remember, his, what he's most famously known as is Abraham. He gets a name change. Right now, his name is just Abram, where we are in this story. Does anyone know what Abram and Abraham means? I'm writing a letter to Karen. <laughs> Abram just means exalted father, and Abraham means father of many. So, and we'll talk about why that's ironic in a little bit. But yeah, so why did God choose Abraham? Um, we can even read our text a little bit. So our, our account doesn't actually start with the descendants of Abraham. It just starts with the descendants of Terah, who Terah is Abram's father. It says, Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, uh, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So why do you think God chose Abram? Of all peoples on earth. What was special about Abram? You can use my slide if you need a hint too. His wealthy wise powerful Yeah. And wrong, Justin. Hit that slide, Kyle. I got you guys just like I got you with my cat story. Can't trust anything I see up here. I'm taking you guys up. Um, now, Abram. So, Abram, at the beginning of our story, he actually is not wealthy. He's not wise. He's not powerful. He's not moral. He comes from Ur of the Chaldeans, which is actually part of uh, the, the first golden age Babylonian Empire. They haven't expanded as far as they're going to yet, but it's in the land of Babylon. Um, and so those are learned people, but Abram is a shepherd, right? He's a blue-collar worker. Um, and so he's going to start out not educated, not wealthy. He's not a ruler. He's not a king. He doesn't have any sort of authority as far as we know. Um, and we're also going to see Gary kind of hinted at it like in weeks to come. He's not the most moral person either, but even before the story begins, uh, in the book of Joshua, Joshua kind of gives a summary of Israel's history, 
at the end of the book, Joshua 24. And he actually goes on to say that our ancestors, Terah, Abram, and Nahor, were idol worshippers in the land of Ur before they came to Canaan. So Abram is actually uh, polytheistic. He worships idols, which once Moses comes around is going to say that's one of the Ten Commands that means that you're not supposed to worship idols. Um, so even before anything begins, Abram is a pagan. And so... I feel like the reason God picks Abram of all the peoples on earth is because he's the least likely person that he would pick. What do we know about Sarai, Abram's wife? She's barren. She can't have children. Um, and so in this culture, in this day and age, that meant that Abram doesn't have a direct biological heir to leave anything he might accumulate to. Um, it means that he's not going to have anyone to... Uh, any progeny to carry on his name after he dies. And so it's the kind of situation where it just seems like he's going to be an insignificant person who lives and dies and nobody remembers him at all. And yet, like I said, our world's three major monotheistic religions all claim ancestry from him. It feels like God chose Abram because... Abram's insignificance allowed God to be magnified because we look at Abram's life and we say, well, this could only have happened through a powerful, mighty, loving God. So, let's continue on talking about Abram's journey. So, oh, we got it again? Nah, okay. So, this is the path that Abram and his family take. So, if you actually remember... What I just read, this journey starts out with Terah taking the family. They start from Ur of the Chaldeans, which, if you can see, is that bottom right corner there. Ur is in Babylonia. Um, I wish I had a pointer. And over here is Canaan, right? If you know your Middle Eastern geography, this is where modern-day Israel is. So Abram starts there to set out for Canaan, but... He ends up living in Haran for a while until his father dies. Um, the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, right? So you'd think you'd just cut across here. But when that straight line covers miles and miles of desert, it's not always the best way to go. So what happens is they actually follow the Fertile Crescent. So that's why they go all the way up north of Haran before they set back down and end up in the land of Canaan. <clears throat> that is just an interesting tidbit, um, if you care about geography or history, but also just to show that like, sometimes our journeys with God comes in many stages, right? So Terah is going to die, and then God is going to uh, speak to Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram, in Haran at this point, goes as the Lord told him. He takes Lot with him. Why does he take Lot with him? Yeah, 
Lot is his nephew. Abram doesn't have any kids. He needs somebody to inherit all his stuff when he dies. At this point, um, he has this promise that he's going to be a great nation, but it's still vague on what that's going to be. We don't have any specific things that you're going to have a biological heir. Maybe it will be through Lot that he's going to be a great nation. So, um, so Lot is the heir who comes with Abram to inherit everything. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Like I said, uh, who wants to still be working here at 75? Yeah, none of us. And this is like when the story starts. He takes his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram is asked to leave everything that's familiar with him. Um, and it's curious because there's a lot of details in the Abraham story that don't get filled in. We don't know why he goes from being a polytheistic guy to having a monotheistic, like one God speaks to him and tells him to go somewhere he's never heard of before. He leaves his culture, he leaves his friends, he leaves his nice retirement pad, and he goes, you know, about hundreds of miles to what he is not certain. He doesn't have any guarantee that there's going to be a spot for him where he get or where he goes. And when he gets to Canaan, God appears to him again. What does God say to him when he gets there? The Lord appears to him and says, "To your offspring, I will give this land." So Abram builds an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now we have promises that there's going to be offspring from Abram and that there's going to be a guarantee that his people are going to inherit uh, what gets deemed the promised land because of this. So why did Abram go? Did he go because of the transactional nature with God? I don't think so, because he doesn't find out God is going to do all this necessarily until he gets there. I think this is what I like most about Abraham's story. Um, is that Abraham and God have a, a relationship. And you might hear, you know, if you've been in church circles for a long time, you'll hear this all the time. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? But as hokey as that can be, that's the thing that makes Christianity and makes our faith so unique and interesting is that you actually can have a relationship with God. God meets Abram and he calls him and he, he doesn't promise Abram like a, if you do this, I'll do this kind of thing necessarily. But it's a dependent relationship that they have with each other. And it's going to happen because God is working all things for the ultimate good. And Abram is going to believe that. So, the reason I think I've come to this conclusion is that it's not just Abram who's going to be elevated, right? It's not like, if you listen and obey, uh, I'm going to do all this nice stuff for you, and you're going to have lots of heirs, and you're going to have land, and you're going to be like super blessed. And Abram greedily and selfishly is like, well, that sounds good for me. Because if we remember the blessings, you can hit that, Kyle. 
the last promise that God gives, you know, he has a lot of, you're going to be a great nation, your name will be great, you'll be a blessing, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, but all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This relationship that God starts with one man named Abram, who is insignificant in the world's eyes, is going to have major good implications for all peoples at that time and to come and in our world today and those who will come after us. And that promise is fulfilled for the Jewish people in the Old Testament and for us Christians who believe in Jesus who lived and loved and died we see it through Jesus Christ taking on the sins of the world and sending the gospel out to every corner of earth God is working for the ultimate good even when we cannot see it Hit the, go to the next side, Kyle. So Abram goes to Canaan because he believes that God is working for the ultimate good. He believes because God speaks to him. And he gets to know who God is. And so this is where what's different between having a relationship with someone and just having marching orders come down. Or even a contract, like a contractual ab obligation. That's not what goes on here. We see relationship, and we're going to see that in our weeks to come in this series. That when we believe that God is working for the ultimate good, we can live in crazy faith. And it's good that it's not transactional, because starting next week, week two of this series, Abram is going to mess up. He's going to do things that God doesn't want him to do. And if it was a contractual obligation, that was the time God could say, Aunt, you're out, I'm going to find somebody else. If it was a one-time thing, we could let it slide, but Abram's going to make the same mistake over and over and over again, and God doesn't back out on him. In the same way, Abram is going to have his own issues with God. God has now promised that your offspring will inherit this land, and in a couple weeks' time, we're going to be deep in this series, and Abram's not going to have any offspring yet. And Abram is going to say to God, what's the deal? You keep saying that I'm going to have offspring, but I'm now almost 100 years old. 25 years will have passed from when our story starts today. And Abram's going to say, how can I be sure that this is going to happen? Because 25 years have passed, I'm 100 years old now. And God doesn't get mad at Abram for questioning him. God is going to actually go deeper in relationship with Abram because of that. When God tells Abram he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abram is going to say, whoa, maybe you should rethink that, God. And God doesn't smite Abram for questioning him, but they go deeper into relationship with him. I don't know if you guys know you can have that kind of relationship with God. But I, I truly believe, exemplified in the life of Abram and in the disciples, that our God is one who invites us to be honest with him. God is going to name 
the people who Abram produces Israel. Which, does anyone know what that translates to? Struggles with God. All right, Karen gets off the hook for that one. <laughs> Struggles with God or wrestles with God. God's people are those who actually wrestle with him. That's relationship. All our closest relationships are the ones which we struggle, we fight. We don't always see eye to eye, but we choose to love at the end of the day. And that's going to be the story of Abram. It's going to be one where he has permission to be honest with God. And it's going to be one where he has to submit to God sometimes, like leaving everything he owns to travel to land he's never been to before. And that's not anything we're not familiar with. All our closest relationships are the ones that, uh, you know, we talk about wanting to be free in our culture, in our world, but when we love people, we actually choose to not be free for them, right? Um, If we have babies that we take care of, we put certain uh, obligations on ourselves to submit to their desires, to make sure that we're feeding them, we're taking them. Uh, we're choosing sometimes not to go out with our friends on the weekend because we have a baby to take care of. If we have a spouse, we are putting certain obligations on ourselves to submit to them. And it's the same thing with God. It's one of submission and freedom to be honest. And it's all because of... Next slide. Even when we oh, yeah, even when we don't see it, God is working for the ultimate good. And so there's our background on Abram. There's a little bit more history and a little bit more geography than we're going to have in future weeks. But I'm really excited for where this is going. I like hope you guys choose to really engage with this and go deep because I think there's a lot that God is offering us to learn and. Um, yeah, I think that those teaching us up here are just preparing some really cool stuff for you. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.